If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We'll talk about loving Jesus today or being in love with Jesus. I'm going to read a few verses here in 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or substitution for our sins. Skip down to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. And then finally, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Would you pray with me? Father, may your anointing and your blessings rest upon the word of God and upon the servant of the Lord. God, as we we share this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts. The scripture tells us that the word killeth, but the spirit gives life. So, Lord, as I stand here as an ambassador of Christ, an ambassador for the kingdom, as a shepherd who stands in the stead of the good, great, and chief shepherd, I pray that you would help me to communicate to the flock, your flock. And Lord, that as the word goes forth, that it would strike a chord in our soul and in our spirit. We give you glory and honor and praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. Notice these statements that are found in the Scripture today. Love is of God. Love is of God. And in two places, not one, but two places, verse 8 and verse 16, the very personality of God is laid out. God is is love. And then verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. You couldn't love God first. You had to sense God's love for you. The concept of being in love, and we all have some sense of it, at a certain time in the lives of individuals, uh, they look to fall in love. In the Word of God, it tells us it's not good that man should be alone. It's all created within us a desire to share our companionship with someone else. I find myself uh, in our church here. I find myself praying frequently for our single adults, uh, for our young people to find their their love, their soulmate. Did you hear the story about the one man that was determined to learn everything he could about the physical art of love? So he bought every book he could find on love. 
He was in an airport one day, and in a little shop, he saw a book with an intriguing title, How to Hug. But he was in such a hurry to catch the plane, he didn't take the time to examine the book more closely, not until he was in the air that he realized he had just purchased the fifth volume of the encyclopedia. <laughs> Ever talk with young children about love and how they interact with the opposite sex, it can be a very intriguing conversation. Children have some interesting thoughts on love. Like the eight-year-old who was asked the question, why do people in love hold hands? And the eight-year-old responded, they want to make sure their rings don't fall off because they paid good money for them. <laughs> or how about the six-year-old and the nine-year-old that were both asked, what are some ways to make someone fall in love with you? And the six-year-old responded, tell them that you own a whole bunch of candy stores. The nine-year-old responded, don't do things like have smelly green sneakers. You might get attention, but attention ain't the same as love. And my favorite one that I came across was, was this one from a six-year-old that was asked about kissing. And the six-year-old response, his response was, kissing is fine if you like it, but it's a free country and no one should be forced to do it. <laughs> While we may not understand everything that there is to know about love, let's face it, when you're in love with someone, you're deeply, deeply affected. Your thoughts, your actions, your words... When you're in love, you, you dream about them maybe. You gaze at their pictures with adoration. Your most important moments of the day are in their presence. You brag about them. You go out of your way to please them. You both share with one another. And when you're in love with someone, you make and take the time to listen to one another. Let me tell you something today that maybe somebody needs to hear and all of us need to be reminded of, and that is that Jesus is in love with you. He thinks about you every moment. He relishes when he gets to spend time in your presence. He loves to listen to your heartaches at the end of the day. He looks upon you with adoration. He provides the best and it is no bother to do the best for you because he is in love with you. He loves his creation, but not near as much as he loves you. I was sitting this morning out in my vehicle, and I was watching the sun rise. And as I was watching the sun crest over the, the ridge, I thought, wow, God, that, that is a powerful, powerful scene of creation. And as I looked at it, and I said, God, you must, you must love to, to raise that sun in the east every morning. And you must love to see that take place and happen. And immediately a check came within my spirit, and God spoke to my heart. And the Lord reminded me that he loves me many times more than he loves the rising of the sun that is in the east. Can someone say amen? 
You see, when he made creation, he, he made, he separated the, the skies from the, from the water, and he separated the land into its own distinct, unique pattern, and he put beasts on the, on the ground, and he put uh, animals in the water and birds in the sky, and he looked at his creation, and he said, this is a good creation. But let me tell you, when he made you and I out of the dust of the ground, he said, this is a very good creation. It was his crowning moment. The Song of Solomon probably has the great description when it says, He brings me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me is his love for me. In verse 6 of chapter 2, it says, His left hand is under my head and his right hand does embrace. His love for you, friend, is so intense, so sacrificial, that if you alone had been stranded upon this earth with no other inhabitants, Jesus Christ would still have left heaven's splendor to come and to die for you to live with him. That is the depth of his love for you. The crown of thorns uh, crushed his brow. Why? Because because he is in love with you. His hands and feet were riveted with spikes. Why? Because he is in love with you. Stripes were laid upon his back by straps that had chips and bone, severing blood vessels every time it hit his flesh. And the whole reason he stayed at that whipping post was because he is in love with you. It is not fair-weathered love. It is not temporary love. But I want to tell you something. It is unchanging love. And whether you return it or not, Jesus Christ is in love with you. In Jeremiah 31 and 3, he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's not a generic statement that represents I'm part of a large crowd mentality. I'm telling you, when he wrote that, he wrote it personally to each and every one of you sitting here today. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you had nothing to give back, when you had nothing to return, he still was in love with you. I don't know about you, but that causes me to think uh, uh, a little more uh, about myself not more highly of myself than I ought, but I'm telling you there's no need for our lips to drag the ground. There's no need for us to look down and look sullen and look defeated and discouraged and live in a depressed fashion. I'm telling you today, you are loved with a great love that is inexhaustible, unexplainable. You can't wrap your mind around it in your finite way, but thanks be unto God, I say today, whether I'm on the mountaintop or in the valley, Jesus Christ is in love with me. Well, praise the Lord. I'm telling you, when you have that assurance and that encouragement, you can face anything that comes your way. Well, praise the Lord. But this morning, I want to really move into this idea about your love for Jesus I've, I've asked this question before, and I pose it again this morning. But have you ever stopped and, and thought about why you gave your heart 
to Christ. Have you ever thought about the motivating reason why you did? I remember well prior to coming to the Lord as a child and the many times that I returned to the Lord from a, a backslidden condition during my teenage years. I, I remember some of the motivating factors behind it. And if you sat and you evaluated today, maybe one of these reasons were the reasons that you came to know Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Maybe you saw salvation as a way to find peace for your life. That's certainly a legitimate reason for everyone that lives in sin is living in turmoil. They're living with troubled minds. They, their conscience is just consumed. And, and so they, they, they want peace. They, they're looking for peace and they found their way to Christ and that brought them some peace. Maybe one of the reasons that you came to know the Lord, maybe it was the reason, was because you heard somebody talk and preach and, uh, about a place called hell and the torments of it and you didn't want to go there. And you said, well, I'm going to go accept Jesus because I don't, I don't want to go to hell. Maybe God's word just revealed your sinfulness and you just wanted to be clean before the Lord. And you said, you know what? I realize I'm a filthy sinner and I need Jesus in my life. Maybe you had that gnawing void and you heard about one that could fill that void. Every relationship was come and go and you tried every fix and you tried every attachment, but nothing seemed to help you and nothing seemed to satisfy you. There's all kinds of motives for people coming to know Christ and they're all reasonable. But I have not in 53 years upon this earth have I ever met a person who just awakened in a church service and said, I came to know Jesus because I've fallen in love with Jesus. What really happens is there is a need that is realized in their life and Jesus is able to meet that need. Now, having said that, let me just state today that your primary reason for remaining a Christian should be different than the reason why you came to know the Lord. You weren't in love with Jesus, so you accepted Jesus. There was all kinds of reasons why you came to Jesus, but let me tell you something. After you come to the Lord and why you continue to walk with him day after day, there should be some, some primary reason behind that, and it is not to escape hell, and it's not to have peace, and it's not to gain heaven, and it's not to please mom and dad, I submit to you with full confidence that, that you're, uh, you must remain a Christian because your primary reason is every day you're falling in love with Jesus Christ. In fact, I'll take it further and say to you today that if your primary reason for staying a believer is any other reason than I love Jesus and Jesus loves me, there's something wrong with your heart. That's good preaching. If you came to church today just to ease your conscience, there's something wrong with your heart. If you came to church today because you're afraid if the rapture takes place, you're going to get left behind and you call yourself a believer, then there's something wrong with your heart. I'm telling you, when I knelt at an altar of prayer and I gave my heart to Jesus, Brother Jerry, he deposited a love inside of me. And every single day, that love has been growing and growing and consuming and consuming. So when I get down to pray and when I get up to sing and when I lift my hands to the 
the Lord, when I stand up and declare his word, whatever the motivating factor may be, it's all secondary to this. I do what I do because I have fallen in love with the Lord. Jesus Christ is your answer. He is your answer today. He's the answer for your past. Jesus will give you healing from your past. If you came to this house this morning and you have baggage, the sin and the pressures and past mistakes weighing you down, Peter writes, cast all your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. And I came across one this past week from the book of Psalms, somewhere around Psalms 55, where it said these words, cast all your cares upon him and he shall sustain you. Aren't you glad that he didn't just create you, but he sustains you. In him you live and move and have your being. It's his blood coursing through my veins. It's his hair blowing through my lungs. I'm telling you, he's the reason that I live today, and I love him, and I can be released from my past, and I can give everything to the Lord. He gives you healing from your past. He also gives you help for your present crisis. No one can do me like Jesus. He supplies every need. He intervenes in every single situation. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. He gives you healing from your past, and he, he gives you help in your present, and then he gives you hope for your future. I'm telling you, if you're trusting in Pennsylvania Avenue or you're trusting in Wall Street or Main Street, if you're looking to another man or another relationship, you will be let down. You will be disappointed. But I've come by to preach. Let it be put up there where everybody can see it. He gives you healing for your past, help for your present, and hope for your future. As the old song says, Jesus is still the answer. He's always been, and he always will be. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I love the story of the transfiguration. It's one of my favorites in the New Testament. I love to preach about it. I think I, I learned and have shared before, and it always bears repeating, the, the magnificent experience that Peter, James, and John had when Jesus was transfigured in front of them upon the top of that mountain. His face shone like the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. The scripture says Moses appeared and Elijah appeared on the left and right of Jesus to his side. The scripture says the voice of God thundered out of heaven. I imagine that must have been an awesome experience on the mountaintop of grandeur and glory. The supernatural and the spectacular and the amazing and the disciples were wowed for sure. But something I saw many, many years ago that the Lord showed me in, in three Gospels. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 8, listen to what it says. When they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Mark's account says it like this. When they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with 
themselves. And Luke 9, 36 says, and when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. I want you to get this. Jesus alone. Jesus only. Jesus only with themselves. Why is that so significant? I'm telling you those verses are great when they display the power and the glory of Christ. But how many of you know we're not always in those atmospheres? We're not always in those kind of camp meeting moments. But I'm telling you, Jesus is in love with me. I've fallen in love with Jesus. And whether the glory is present or not, whether I witness the thunderous voice of the Father or not, if the visions cease and the dreams fail to bring revelation, I still have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm in love with him. And he's in love with me. He is still the answer. He is still all that you need. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We preachers give all kinds of good reasons to live right. And they're all they're all good reasons. But quite frankly, we do not talk about the most important reason. The most important reason to live right is because you love Jesus. Loving Jesus, therefore living right. (laughs) Psalms 97 and 10 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. It's pretty simple to understand that, isn't it? You who love the Lord hate evil. And Deuteronomy says, you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might. What does the Lord require of each of us? Deuteronomy 10, 12, fear him, walk in his ways, serve him, love him. Yes, he requires your number one devotion. He should be your number one priority. I love Jesus more than anything more than my home, my car, my job, my entertainment, my exercise, my money, my ministry. There are people doing ministry today that don't even know the Lord of their ministry. I love Jesus more than anything. I love Jesus more than anyone. My wife, my son, my mother, my father, my pastor, my closest friend. You got a problem if you love someone in the family more than you love Jesus. Somebody needs to help me preach this morning because you know I'm telling the truth. Well, how can I How can I tell if I'm in love with Jesus, is there some places I can check? I'm telling you, daily calendar is going to tell if you're in love with Jesus. Hello. Y'all still out there this morning? Your daily calendar, your little planner on your little electronic gadget. Your checkbook's going to tell you if you're in love with Jesus. Don't try to boast about how great a witness you are or how holy you are if it is not evident that you're in love with Jesus. 
that's been said and how true it is that labor is not a substitute for love and purity is not a substitute for passion. That's powerful stuff. I ask myself the question sometime, why? Why do I why do I do what I do? Heard the story about George. One Sunday morning a fellow named George told his mother he wasn't going to church. First he said, I'm tired. Second, the people there don't like me. And third, the sermons are boring. George's mother wouldn't take no for an answer. George, you have to go first. We always worship on Sunday. Second, it doesn't matter whether they like us or not. And third, you're the pastor. You have to go. <laughs> Seriously, though, people come, people go. Church has a revolving door. And a shepherd has to go back and revisit his motives. Do I do what I do because it's a vocation? It is a vocation. Do I do what I do because it's a calling? It is a calling. But why? Why do I do what I do? And then I'm reminded of Jesus' encounter with Peter when he looked at him, a man that had denied him three times before the crucifixion, and Jesus looked at him after the resurrection and asked him, do you love me more than these? Lord, you know I do. Then he asked him again. Lord, Peter, do you love me more than these? And then he asked him a third time. Peter's getting exasperated. Lord, you know. Do you love me more than these? Lord, you know. But in response to Peter, he always said, then feed my sheep. I came to preach. I came to feed the flock of God because I love Jesus. You do what you do in the kingdom of God, little or much, and hopefully you are doing it because you love Jesus. You'd be surprised how many believers have lost or left their first love. Jesus talked to a church, a whole church in Ephesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. He talked to a whole church. He said, I have something against you. You've left your first love. It's easy to do. 
You can get caught up in the ministry of the Lord and forget about the Lord of the ministry. Doug Small said it best several years ago. He said, I do what I do out of an overflow of my personal relationship with God. Maybe you're here and you've never started the love journey. Here's a beautiful thing. If you're here and you're lost today, he loves you just as much as he loves the saints sitting next to you. You say, well, they, man, they, they've been serving God for 30, 40, 50 years. And here I am, I'm sitting here, I've got this addiction, I've got this conscience that's, that's ate up with conviction. I'm sitting here and I feel horrible, I feel unloved, and you're telling me? That God loves me just as much. Jesus is just as much in love with you as he is with the saint that's sitting next to you. My God, my God. That's the truth. The devil whispers something in your hearing other than that. He tells you, ah, you're not even worthy to be here. Why'd you even bother to come? But thanks be unto God, the Spirit won out over the devil, and you're sitting in the house of the Lord here, and this preacher say under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that you are loved with an everlasting love. You're here and you're a believer. Why have you served him like you have? Why do you serve him like you do? Is it because the Bible tells you to? Is it because your upbringing? Some of us are in church today because our families raised us in church. And we go third and fourth and fifth generation and we come to church and we do it week after week because that's what mom and dad did and that's what I want my children to do. And while the pattern may be great, the motivation has got to be for the right reason. You don't come to church for church's sake. You come to church because you're in love with Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and you've come to worship Him and praise Him and magnify Him and lift Him up. Any other reason, there's something wrong in the heart. I love you, and Jesus loves you. In closing, Tony, if you'll come to the keys and play something softly. Bill Wilson tells the story of a, a precious Puerto Rican lady. She had gotten saved in church, but she didn't speak one word of English. But through an interpreter, she said, I want to do something for God. Well, you cannot speak any English, so I don't know what you can do. She pleaded, please let me do something for God. Okay. I'm going to put you on a bus with the children that we pick up. Multiple buses. I want you to ride with the bus and I just love the children that are coming to church. Boy, she took it to heart. Every week she rode a different bus. This little Puerto Rican lady would find the worst-looking child on the bus. She'd put the child on her lap, 
And she would whisper over and over and over, Yo te amo e Jesus te ama. Somebody told her what it meant, and so she learned to say it in her broken English. And she'd say it to every child each week. Tattered and torn, little boy or little girl would sit on her lap, and she would say, I love you, and Jesus loves you. After several months, she came, became attached to one little boy on one bus. And so she said to those that were in the bus ministry, I only want to ride this bus. The boy didn't speak at all. He came to Sunday school with his sister. He would sit on the woman's lap, but he never made a sound. And each week he would hear from this Puerto Rican sister, I love you. And Jesus loves you. Yo te amo e Jesus te ama. After several days, one day the little boy turned around and to her amazement, he said, I love you too. He put his arms around her and he gave her a great big hug. That was at 2.30 on a Sunday afternoon. At 6.30 that night, the little boy was found dead and discarded under a fire escape. His mother had beaten him to death and had thrown him in a garbage bag. I love you. And Jesus loves you. Were the last words of compassion that he heard in his short life from the lips of a woman who could barely speak any English. Pastor, why did you tell us that story? True story. Why did you tell us that story? Because I really ask, just ask the question, who, who among us is, is really qualified? Who really knows what to do? We're all a mess. We're just a saved mess. We don't have it all figured out. We don't have the answers. We can't fix people's situations and circumstances, their marriages, their homes. But one thing's for sure. I ran to an altar one time, and I got some love inside of me, and I got some fire inside of me, and I just want to go to the one that's hurting, and I just want to say, yo te amo, eh, Jesus te amo. I love you, and Jesus loves you too. But can you really do it if you're not in love with the Lord? Can you really share His love if His love is not welling up inside of you and overflowing you? You see, I'm going to step out on a limb here because I feel the Holy Spirit. There could very well come a day in the near future when the love of Jesus overflows his church and it reaches the outcast of our community. There could very well come a day when the love of Jesus overflows this church and it reaches people of color in our community. There could very well come a day when the love of Jesus overflows us and we don't have a problem with someone that's sitting in our seat.
when we come to the house of God. We're just glad they're in the house of God. Why do we do what we do? Why? It has to be. And I'm not there yet, Brother Fred. I'm telling you, I can get so caught up in the mechanics of ministry and I just have to, then I get exhausted because I really haven't filled up the tank. I really haven't just, you know, I've been so drained from giving out and out and out and doing this and this and this, fulfilling, checking off this list and checking off this list. Then I get exhausted and I say, what's going on? I'll tell you what went on. What went on is I did not, I did not work at my love relationship with Jesus. Even though I was serving him, I wasn't loving him. Make sure you keep the main thing the main thing. You have to love Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Would you stand in this house? I'm going to ask every, every believer in this place to come. Stand around this altar with me. If you're not a Christian today, come on with them. Come on with them. Jesus loves you. do we do what we do? What is our motivation? Come on in as close as you can. We're all family here. We're all family here. If you would throw your hands up this way or if you throw your hands out this way, sometimes people throw their hands out in front of them because they just want all that God has for them. Maybe they throw their hands up this way because they're dependent upon the Lord. Whatever you need to do right now, would you all over this place, would you just take some inventory of your love tank, your love quotient? Come on, come on. Take some honest evaluation right now all over this house with hands out or hands up, with your eyes closed in your own way. Maybe it can be rekindled by you just telling him that you love him. Maybe it's been a little dry and a little barren. Maybe it just means going back to worshiping him for who he is, not just for what he's done. He loves you more than that sun he put in the sky. He loves you so, so much. I know we, God, God is the very DNA of God is love. We can't wrap our minds around that. But Lord, right now, would you just give us just a, a touch of your love so we can reciprocate it back to you? Just give us even in this, these few moments, reignite a passion within us for you, you, Lord. Not your miracles, not your provision, not your protection, but you. Let us fall in love with you again. 
come on, commune with him right out of your own heart. It's you and the Lord. Forget who's around you. to come into your presence. I don't want prayer to be a chore. I don't want worship to be a task. I want to be excited when I get to come into your presence and just spend time with you. Somebody worship him. Somebody worship him. Why do you do what you do? for the mechanics of ministry. Uh-huh. 